Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Pretty good. The Oilers are... I mean, it's now it's just not me <laughs> saying the Oilers are the best team in the NHL anymore, Bruce. It's just not me and I, you know, a handful of optimistic Oilers fans. It's a lot of people starting to starting to say that. Some of them, I think, quite grudgingly. Oh, but yeah. I noticed that Money Puck um, mm-hmm. had the Oilers as, on a percentage basis, the, the team most likely win the Stanley Cup. And um, you can certainly see why, Bruce, the way they've been playing. They almost had three shutouts in a row here. They gave up one to the Los Angeles Kings in a three-to-one victory. Um, you know, it was it was billed as the biggest game of the year. Um, I don't know if I believe. What do you think about that biggest game of the year? Mm, I, I guess it depends. If I mean, if playoff seeding is your thing, then sure, this was a big game. But I mean, last uh, uh, Wednesday's game in Edmonton against the Kings was just as big and I think was probably a a more emphatic performance. Like tonight, I didn't think either team really played their best for chunks of this game uh, until Edmonton gradually took control. But I mean, when anytime you can move from third place into second with a week to go in the season, you know, that's a big game. And they're, you know, they're, they'd be knocking on the door of the division crown if only... Uh, who was it that had the lead against Vegas? And was it the Wild or Nashville? Oh, the Wild had a 60th minute lead against Vegas, and Vegas tied it with 35 seconds left and won it in the shootout. So they managed to gain two points from a losing position, and that's very that's, likely. I mean, we're getting down to the short strokes, yeah. and that's a. Although Vegas lost tonight in overtime, of course. In overtime, so they got one point out of that. So. Anyway, such is the nature of uh, of uh, Gary Bettman's NHL that some games are worth more than others. Yeah, and they are. It's a pet peeve of they... mine from way back, as many of you probably know by now, but uh, it is what it is. All you can do is take the two avail- available to you, which the orders did, and ideally you do not give the opponents any at all, which the orders also did. So yeah. they gained two on the Kings, but they only gained one on the Knights, even though they also lost. Yeah. Lost. Anyway. So the Oilers now with 101 points, Bruce. Uh-huh. And 46 wins. Not bad. First time, and, yeah, Stoffer's been talking about 47 wins all all season, and I think he's about to get his wish yeah. here with a couple I think of games. He said left. 47 to 47 to 52. Yeah, well wins. his minimum he said his minimum, his minimum was 47. And he asked me to predict a few weeks ago. Oh, and yeah. uh, he thought they would end up with 47, and I said 48. Oh, okay. So we'll see who's right. Okay. I, both well, the of, thing about that is I if they get to 49 optimistic. or even 50, you still win, right? Because you're closer. Then. Correct. Although he, okay. he, I guess he did pick a range, didn't he? he yeah. Bob will be happy with every win, just like most people in Edmonton. All right, Bruce. Two good things, two bad things, and two numbers will go with two good things each. What is your first yeah, well, I'm going to go with um, uh, how Oilers took over this game. And I thought in the second period, the first period was just a slog. Like the two were feeling each other out and they were kind of pounding away. 
and the shots on net were three to two, which is low as the shots in a period as I can remember in a long, long time. Three to two for LA, uh, as if that makes any difference. But in the second period, Edmonton outshot them uh, 15 to 11, and then in the third period, 16 to seven. And I think those numbers kind of fairly represent the flow of play in this game. Edmonton was getting the more and the better chances and more and more of the game was being played deep in LA's territory as they went on. And when the Kings tied it, you know, I thought at one nothing, I thought, well, I don't suppose they're going to win one nothing, but I, I was, you know, they, they just got the goal in one of those plays. And I was strangely confident that the Oilers would get that goal back and find a way to win this game. And sure enough, they did. And they earned it. They drew a penalty with hard work and then they scored a goal on the power play with hard work, which you're going to talk about in a minute. And uh, then once they had their nose in front again, man, L.A. was not getting through. I mean, Skinner was stopping the odd shot from outside and freezing the odd shoot in, but it seemed like the Oilers were were blocking most of the paths towards the net front. And uh, it seemed that they were exiting their own zone and, you know, entering the L.A. zone with uh, reasonable confidence. They were on the four check. It's not like they were backing off at all. They were still playing the 200-foot game, and and, uh, and it served them well, and they deserved to win this game, and they won it. They sure did, Bruce, and um, they won it with some solid goaltending, some decent even strength play, and, of course, their historically good power play, uh, which was two for four tonight. And um, the first two power plays were pretty um, – they didn't get a whole lot done on their first two power plays. Between those two first two power plays, they only had uh, one grade-A shot. So, um, but being the Oilers, they can wrap it up pretty quick, and that's what happened. On the second power play, or the third power play of the game, which is halfway through the third period, it, there's a scramble play, and first McDavid pops the puck, um, wins the puck on the boards, there's a there's another scramble. Then Drysaddle wins it, and it goes to as I recall to to, um, to Bouchard, who then makes a nice pass to Drysaddle, who then makes like a, you know one of those passes that only Drysaddle can make. Almost whips mm-hmm. it over to Nugent Hopkins, who with his improved shot, um, the goalie's moving. It's across the Royal Road, across the center of the ice, and Nugent Hopkins rips in a shot. For his well, he ended. He got ninety nine points by the end of the game. His thirty sixth uh, of the year, and then he that was his ninety eighth point. And, yeah, uh, got, another, got one. another one on the next power play goal, which I think you're about to describe. Yeah, which was almost as nice. Not uh, well. I mean, it was the goal ahead goal, so in some ways it was more exciting. This one's uh, with uh, seven twenty left in the third period. Nugent, the pucks moved around. Nugent Hopkins gets it in the slot. Puts it over to McDavid, who makes just a, such a heads-up play. He backs up with the puck to get a better shooting position and rips it on net, mm-hmm. um, f- kind of from the edge of the scoring chance, um, horse uh, p- uh, home plate area. And there's a rebound. Hyman's crowding the goalie, fortunately not too much. And the rebound goes to Drysaddle, who slams it in. It was just, it was just a fantastic, uh, another fantastic goal. And... Um, 
So the Oilers' power play, we don't have the most up-to-date stats, but heading into the game, Montreal in number two, 1977-78, Montreal Canadiens at 31.9%. Now the Oilers are at, heading into the game, they were at 32.4%. So that will go up just a little bit. Um, but you you want it to go up because there's some games left and it could easily go down. So mm-hmm. uh, sure. But Bruce, you were you were mentioning the other the other night, uh, just in, in our kind of private chat on Twitter, that you've been watching some other teams playing hockey, and you noted that the, not all not all all power plays look like the Edmonton sure. power play. What were you seeing? Yeah, somebody else pointed that out on Twitter today, and I replied to them. But I believe I may have also tweeted myself that a while back but uh yeah just what what it's more what i'm not seeing david which is magic yeah you know the puck just isn't whipping around for other teams and they're you know uh the puck's getting cleared out of the zone i mean what one of the things about the oilers is that they're absolutely phenomenal at winning the puck back without the zone being cleared i mean not every power play and sometimes it gets sent down two three times but tonight we saw cases of Oilers winning battles to gain or regain possession of the puck without it leaving the zone and then the possibility to regenerate uh, scoring chances from there. And it happened really on both goals. I mean, you described the battle. I mean, McDavid looked like they were going to clear the zone and he was able to get a piece of it and chip it to Drysaddle. And under duress, Drysaddle was able to get it back to Bouchard and he had a guy on him and he was able to get it back to to Drysaddle, and finally, after all that action, the Drysaddle's got the puck with enough time to uh, to find and make a perfect pass, which is to say about 0.5 seconds that it took him to do that. But he finally got a lane, and boom, it was gone. And then Nuge really had time on the other side of the ice after three different Oilers, uh, basically won battles to to maintain that possession in the first place. And then the uh, the winner. It came on a second chance because there, there was a chance maybe about 10 seconds before that where Leon had shot for the far corner and, and uh, netminder Phoenix Copley made a pad save and kicked it into his stick side corner. And over there, McDavid won the battle and came out with the puck. And from there, it was, you know, let's see what we can create against the chaos from the first missed chance. And I think within 10 seconds, the puck was in the net. And... Uh, McDavid himself, as you say, he fired a good shot on net, and Drysaddle got the rebound and popped it home. And I was able to say, aha, to my wife, because earlier in the game I said consistently, I said, you know, guys, you got the puck on the two-on-one, and you make the pass, great. But if you make the shot and they stop it, the rebound can be just as good or even better than the pass because the goalie is still responding from the first shot. And I was particularly annoyed when Yamamoto tried an impossible pass on a two-on-one when he had a clear angle to to the net. But Costin did the same thing last game. McDavid's been doing a little bit lately. But in this play, Connor thought, well, I've got the puck in shooting position. Why don't I just shoot it? Sure enough, it created, didn't go in, but it created a good enough rebound that Drysaddle was able to power at home. And, you know, on the score sheet, it's a primary assist as if McDavid had... Uh, Deek two or three guys and laid a saucer right on uh, somebody's stick for the tap in. You know, it's some, sometimes you got to power it in and power it. Sometimes it takes more than one shot, and on this occasion it did. So Oilers power plays uh, ability to 
to intensify their attack. And I've seen this before this year, where they have one or two power plays early in the game that don't score, and then by the third one, look out. It's like the third time through the batting order for a major league pitcher. You know, it's a whole lot tougher. And they're, you know, if they haven't scored in a couple chances, you know, they're a little ticked off. And then they say, well, we can do better than that. And sure enough, they did better than that. They got the the only two five on five, uh, well, the only two goals that they really needed. I mean, none of the goals came at five on five. Just uh, two power play yeah. goals and empty netter. The power play has, I think, ticked up since Evan Bouchard has taken over on the point. I would say, like, there was a few, he he, he was a little bit nervous on a few passes. They were a little bit off. I still see that a little bit of nerviness uh, with him. But the other players have never been at a higher level than they are right now on this power play. And uh, what the orders need is for the referees to call penalties in the playoffs because um, if that's going to happen, it, it will inhibit the other team from playing too rough against the Oilers and from trying too much stuff against the Oilers just out of fear of having this power play come on. So they, they will have to really tone down their, you know, their barbarian act of, you know, hacking and slashing and, and cheating if the refs will only call penalties at a normal rate, at a, you know, call the rule book in the playoffs. It might be asking too much, probably is, but we'll start um, now. <laughs> yeah, can, fingers crossed. If the hey, listen, if the NHL actually wants the Oilers and Connor McDavid, their best player in the Stanley Cup Finals, which would actually be a pretty good idea for this league. They don't want. They don't want anything, David. They're neutral, remember? Yeah, baloney. Mm-hmm. Um, if they if they wanted that, they would say just call the rule book and and we're mm-hmm. serious. Like don't do this playoff stuff, refs. We're looking for you. If you're not calling penalties, you're not going to be refereeing in the playoffs. If that's the message, mm-hmm. that should be the message. That would be neutral, and mm-hmm. that would be a huge benefit to the orders. Bruce, what is your second good uh, thing? Neutrality is all, all, all we want. You know, yeah. I'd rather a game with four power plays each than a game with none. You know. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, my second good thing is the great Leon Dreisaitl had another fantastic game tonight, and he's been putting them together uh, one after another lately. He had one goal, two assists in this game, and a three-to-one victory, uh, including the game winner, which I think is his 11th of the year, probably puts him in team league, or league lead again in that department. And this is the old-fashioned game winner, you know, a few minutes left in the third period, tie games. It's not like he scored the 4-1 goal in an 8-3 win like Taylor Hall taunted uh, Glenn Anderson all those years ago. Uh, Leon tends to deliver when the chips are on the line, and he did that again tonight. And then uh, you described the uh, pass across he made to Nuge, and then on the 3-1, it was just a clean face-off win against uh, uh, Angie Kopitar, and it seemed to me that uh, Leon had been cleaning Kopitar's clock with regularity throughout the stretch of this game, the defensive zone draws. And it's a common thing in the McCurdy household that uh, they drop the puck in the, in the Oilers' D zone. The other team wins the draw. Bruce swears like it just bang, 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 right? <laughs> Especially when it happens over and over like it does some nights, you know, where they get... 83 face-offs and they win 82 of them in the third period or so it seems but tonight it just seemed like orders would win the puck he'd win it back defenseman would make a good play with it they'd get it up along the wall and out and he did go in fact uh, 13 and 9 59 percent on the dot tonight with uh, uh, two shots on net three hits goal two assists 
But the plays that caught my eye the most of Leon tonight were early in the second period, and there was two of them, maybe one shift apart, where he, the Kings were really putting the pressure on in Oilers' territory, and twice Leon in the defensive left-wing corner got the puck on his stick for a split second, and wham, he delivered one of those quick backhand passes of his, clicked right onto the stick of a defenseman in the slot, nobody around him, walk it out. And it happened twice. The second time, the only problem was that the defenseman was so surprised to get the pass that it kind of went through his stick and he had to recover a little bit. But both times, just slick as a whistle and just no time, you know, once he saw the lane, bam, the puck was on the guy's stick. And the other team is, you know, they're covering the boards all the, you know, above the play, below the play and trying to, trying to pin the guy in that way. And, and, those little little uh, quick feeds. Uh, Oilers did it a lot. Maybe two years ago, they did a lot of breakouts up the middle, and they they don't do it so much. But in these two plays, it was appropriate and just done so quickly and cleanly. And when you see Leon playing the full 200 feet of the ice, like he's been doing now for a month, uh, he is one fantastic hockey player, and he is uh, putting his stamp on every game at this point of the season. He is indeed. Bruce, uh, my second good thing is just it's just a, a quick play that didn't amount to much because maybe some overpassing of the puck on this one as well. But um, it, early in the third period, Connor McDavid, um, the puck's advanced, advancing out of the LA end, and McDavid uh, wins the puck off an LA player in the neutral in the neutral zone, and immediately, as only he can do, hard cut, rapid acceleration, jet. Uh, afterburners on charging into the king zone and the best <laughs> the best thing ever happened drew doughty saw connor mcdavid charging at him at light speed and he just his feet uh seemed his looks like his knees turned to jelly and he lost his footing it was it was fantastic uh to see doughty go down like that and and it just could have been a stumble right it might not even been anything but i just imagine that it, like seeing McDavid coming at you with that kind of speed is awesome and um, frightening if you're a defenseman. So it was great to see McDavid. It was like a passing of the guard. How many times have we seen Drew Doughty just mash Oilers players and dominate the Oilers? But he's getting his. Dreisaitl has hit him a couple times in the last, like this game Gosh. he hit him. I think he actually hit the boards harder than he hit Drew Doughty in this game. But he, in he got a piece of him. He got a piece of him, and he hit him yeah. last game really hard. He and crunched him. Someone else, game. someone else. They're going after Drew Doughty, which is should be the play because Drew Doughty isn't the Drew Doughty of ten years ago. He's he's lost a step. He's still a fantastic hockey player, but you can hit him, and that's that should be the strategy: hit him, hit him, hit him. And uh, anyway, on this play, McDavid went around him, and then instead of shooting. He, he thought he'd pass over to Hyman. He probably should have shot on the play yeah. and gone for the rebound. It would have been a fantastic highlight reel goal yes. if he had scored, especially because for, forever in eternity there on that goal, we would have seen Doughty falling down like that. It would have been spectacular, but uh, not to be. Still a good yeah. thing, though. Yeah, yeah, that was one of those plays where I was thinking a rebound would have been as good as a pass, especially a pass that missed, uh, as it turned out in the end. But, uh, yeah, be nice to watch that replay. I mean, you want to talk about watching replays. Uh, the poor guy this year got the worst of it. The worst was uh, Ryan McLeod in Toronto. You remember when he made that horrible giveaway right in front of his own net and Mitch Marner deked 
Skinner yeah. to score yeah. and begin the Toronto comeback. Yeah. And it was such a great play by by Marner. And I'm I'm not sure we rated this as much as we should have at the time. But having seen the the play a number of times since, uh, every time I see it, I go, oh wow, incredible hands move, deep finish by Marner. Yeah. And it yeah. was such a good play that it became TSN's highlight of the night. And then it became TSN's one-on-one champion where they played it against each night's highlight of the night for 10 games in a row before it was retired, undefeated as a as a highlight of the night, uh, one-on-one champion 10 straight times and went into their Hall of Fame. That's how they do it. And every year you get a handful of plays that you know are so good that they just hang on for a week and a half like that. But I was thinking of poor Ryan McLeod after that mistake in front of his family and friends in his hometown of Toronto, you know, a game-turning goal. And then every night after that, watching the highlights on TSN, there's that damn play coming up again and again of him coughing the puck up before Ryan converts it. Yeah, you turned it to each other. It's like they still feel. I still feel for Ryan McLeod. Of course, he was hurt by then, so probably sitting at home watching SportsCenter some of these nights anyway. Uh, such as hockey, you know, some, sometimes you make a mistake, the goalie makes a play, and five minutes later, somebody says, I don't remember it. But the guy makes the play, which Marner did with phenomenal precision on that particular sequence. So you got to live with it for a long time. Is it my bad thing now? Uh, yeah, where, no, your number? No, you have a number? no, my number. I haven't done my bad thing yet. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. I, I just, haven't done mine yet. Okay, that's what I was. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> hey, what's your bad thing? Yeah, I haven't got a whole lot bad. I wasn't thrilled with uh, some of the calls, but that's nothing that's any different from most nights. Uh, I I thought the first period, like the start of the game, was pretty sluggish, and as I said earlier, I thought both teams were a little bit kind of off the game. LA was playing their fourth and six nights, and. Oilers weren't quite clicking, and they were just slogging it out in the trenches, World War One style. And in some ways, it was quite fascinating. But in terms of flow of the game, or any kind of uh, any any kind of space to skate in, or you know, do exciting stuff like shoot the puck, uh, you know, score a goal, that kind of thing, there just wasn't any space for any of that kind of stuff. And the shots were three to two, and the uh, I think the grade A shots might have been one to one or two to one, two to one. Wow. For the Kings, but they were right. marginal grade A shots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was one of those nights where time and again, you and I were saying, well, was it grade A or was it like a B plus or because some yeah. of the chances were very marginal and there wasn't too much that was real clean and open. So anyway, uh, the first period, it's, it, I don't want to say it's, it's my bad thing, but it's just kind of my, uh, unexpected thing in terms of the, the game started without flow and it took a while before it, uh, it developed a rhythm. Uh, my bad thing, Bruce, will be the King's goal. In particular, I just, I, I felt it coming. I, I, I thought actually Vincent DeHarnay this game was handling the puck really well all game long until this, this, this play. And he made a, he made a pass that I just thought um, spoke to his, not necessarily, maybe his inexperience, maybe his, um, he is a rookie, but he, he it, it just wasn't the right play. And it wasn't even a terrible pass. It, you know, it's fairly safe. He's on his side of the ice 
and he rims it around the boards and Evander Kane is there, but a pass that, a pass that long in your own zone where you're rimming it right around the boards to the other side, to the forward, that's kind of a license for that forward to have to get, to get hit, to have to puck protect. Even if he's wide open initially, you know that by the time that gets to him, he's going to be in a, in a fight for it. And that's exactly what happened. And, um, I just thought a safer play is put it up your own boards. Probably. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what was going on on his own boards because the camera angle didn't show up. But um, as soon as that pass went was going, I was thinking, oh, oh, like this, this could end up badly, and it did. Um, the puck uh, goes to the point, and then two Oilers, Drysaitel and Deharnay, who's rushed into the play again, screen uh, Stuart Skinner. There might even have been a screen from an LA King. But I don't think Skinner saw the puck. It was a, it was a solid screen through through two players flashing uh, past the direction of the puck, past the uh, the root of the puck, and it goes in. So um, DeHarnay, you know, compounded his mistake by screening his own goalie on the shot. So not <laughs> he, listen. He had a good game. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought actually he had a very good game. I, I liked his play this game. And I liked his, I think his passing is getting sharper and sharper um, as he's going along in the NHL. That's what I'm noticing. He and Kulak are starting to get a little rhythm, a little familiarity. They're working together fairly well. They're looking good out there, but not on that play. Yeah. Yeah. I I think he got beat by speed one or two times in this game as well, DeHarnay. But when the puck was in, like he didn't get, Nobody sort of beat him one on one. They weren't getting around him, and they weren't, uh, uh, you know, getting the puck through him either. But uh, he had a couple of little adventures, and then that that goal. I mean, the turnover was the thing, and it was just pass it back to the point, shoot it into traffic, and it's one that one out of twenty times the Californian, you know, yeah, goes through everybody, or it hits a body, or it creates a rebound, or. Uh, Anyway, there's it's a good play. Things that can go wrong. Yeah, Jack Campbell overreaches and deflects it into his own net. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that can go wrong. He's been <laughs> no, sorry, that. Jack. That was that was kind of unnecessary. Uh, but it's happened <laughs> twice. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> so it's been, uh, uh, and that was just one that got through. And so, you know, small mistakes. And I mean. I don't want to get too critical of guys for being in the shooting lane if they're there and trying to make a play and, you know, puck finds a hole, as I say, when it gets through the goalie. Yeah. Well, it does the same thing to the potential shot blockers too, right? He hit he hit the cylinder of uh, where that puck could find a pass all the way through and into the net. And Victor Arvidsson, you know, good player, good shot. So, Your number, Bruce. Yeah, I'm betwixt and between. I got two. They're so good. I may have to mention them both. But uh, uh, the one I'm going to go with 15, uh, which is now the number of power play goals by uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins after his uh, icebreaker tonight, uh, becoming the fourth Edmonton Oiler of the um, season to hit 15 goals on the power play. And apparently, uh, it's been confirmed that the Oilers are the first team in the history of the NHL to have four. 15 power play goal scores on their team. And as I read the stats, and they're not quite yet updated, but I think we have four guys in the top 10, technically, 
For power play goals? Power play goals. Drysaddle was 31. McDavid was 21. And then, uh, so they're one, two. And then at uh, 15 now, we have in ninth place, Timo Meyer, Dylan Arkin, Sam Reinhardt, Zach Hyman, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So all five of them are tied for ninth. So I think you can say we've got four in the top 10 and not be too much of a stretch. And first time in NHL history. So, and that unit has been doing all of the damage for for the Oilers. Just let me bring it up. But I think uh, Barry has four power play goals. And uh, uh, yeah, there it is. And Bouchard has one since he joined the first unit. And everybody else on the team has zero. So 52, 82, 87 power play goals. And the first unit has scored all 87 of them. Like, <laughs> like they get like uh, typically most years they get like 80 82 percent of the power play time so of course they're going to get most of the goals and they're going to score more than 80 or 82 percent because they're way better than the second power play but 100 percent that's pretty extreme this is an extreme <laughs> season for the power play of the Edmonton Oilers yeah. nothing else this is this is that Bruce um this was the tightest checking game of the year and mm-hmm. I don't think it, it's actually that close the grade A shots were 11 to 8 for Edmonton. Yeah. And most of those grade A shots were, or many, at least half, were like in the marginal end. We like we debated, are these really grade A? And then mm-hmm. and we eliminated a bunch of them. And then some yeah. of them, well, yeah, let's play. A, a minuses and a few B yeah. pluses. And we got rid of the B pluses. But it's not like it's one to zero. I mean, eventually that's how we record it. Either is or it isn't. But of course, there's plenty in the 60 40 to. 40 yeah. 60 range where you just got to make a call and tonight it was easy to be conservative making those calls because the teams were not giving up a whole hell of a lot were they they were not 11 to 8 for grade a shots but the even more interesting is the the uh, subset of the grade a shots so the grade a shots go in on average like so this is all grade a shots including the subset of five alarm shots they go in the grade a shots go in 25 percent of the time if you take out that subset of uh, five alarm shots there they go in uh, about 33% of the time. In this game, so the so in an average NHL, uh, excuse me, an average Oilers game this year, Bruce, there has been 14 five alarm shots per game, roughly 14 per game. Five the alarm. Oilers have averaged eight eight a game, and the opposition 6.3. In this game, the Oilers had two, and the Kings had one. So it was, it was the, the, the fewest five alarm shots in a game this year. The previous low was a recent game against the Boston Bruins where they, there was five. There was three for the Oilers and two for the Bruins. Right. Um, let me just see. That was game 66. The Oilers beat the Bruins three to three two. two. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a very tight checking game as well. Um, the grade A shots were a similar number, um, 11 uh, for Boston in that game, and just seven for the Oilers. But um, yeah, the, there was just there was the really great scoring chances this game were few and far between. There was hardly any of them, and uh, both teams. Um, it, it's exciting to see the Oilers play this way, and it, um, you know, not exciting in in, in terms of high scoring hockey. But in terms of winning the Stanley Cup, this is exciting to see the Oilers being able to consistently thwart um, the attacking of the other teams. 
and uh, limit those grade A shots and limit the five alarm shots, especially. So um, it's crucial. You can't, this Oilers team with the goaltending it has, it's got to be able to play this kind of hockey and they've, they've been doing it. Um, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm uh, excited about that. Right. Well, I'm going to give you my bonus number. I'm going to declare stat- All right. statistician's privilege and say this one. This one I want to share. Oilers outshot the Kings 33-21 tonight. They outhit them 39 to 23. And one of the stats is that of those hits, only five were delivered by Oilers defensemen and 34 by forwards. Meaning they were pounding the LA defense a lot in this game. I haven't seen who they were hitting, but I know that when we add them up, probably a majority of hits were received by LA defensemen, which is what how you want to set up shop in a playoff series as well. And the following forwards had multiple shots and multiple hits, which to me is a sign of a guy who's A, in the game and, and making stuff happen. It's kind of a powers forward pair of stats. So Klim Kostin, two shots, five hits. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, two shots, three hits. Uh, Nick Bukestad, five shots, six hits. Evander Kane, four shots, eight hits. And, oh yeah, Connor McDavid, three shots, five hits. And these guys were bringing it physically, and they were bringing the puck to the net. And uh, they were, I mean, Evander Kane was a beast in this game. He was just a, just a load all game long for L.A., just powering up the walls, pursuing the puck. And then when he got to the end of the wall, he'd smash the other guy into it. <laughs> and Bukestad was, you know, very active in this game in a good way. And I, I think that those players and those kind of contributions sort of established, Oilers made their mark in this game. I think physically, they won the physical battle and they wore LA down. And that's the reason they got better in the second period and better again in the third. Earlier this week, Bruce, I did a kind of, you know, quick back of the envelope kind of study on power forwards. And I just ranked the mm-hmm. who, who are the best power forwards based on two stats. They're even strength points per 60 yep. and their hits per 60. Right. So just, a, a, you know, probably the best offensive metric that, w- that we have for all of, like, mm-hmm. like it's publicly available. I wish mm-hmm. we had better a better number than that, like yeah. their major contributions to grade A shots in all state game states. But we have this. And their hits, which is a pretty good marker of physical play. And interestingly, there was two Edmonton Oilers in the top five, if you go by that. So number one overall. Brady Kachuk, and then Alex Ovechkin is number two. So this made me think, oh, well, this stat isn't complete crap. Like, it mean, mm-hmm. if if you're if it's identifying Kachuk as the best and Ovechkin, that this this seems to make now the in number three place was Klim Kostin of the Oilers. Now a lot of that is based on some really strong even strength scoring, which has come off what we what right. we knew then and what we can say now with more certainty was a real hot shooting streak. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, number four, Evander Kane, and again, that's where Kane belongs. Like, if you're if you're you looking for a statistical for sure. way to mm-hmm. identify power forwards, Evander Kane should be in the top ten. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to suggest he's number he is number four, uh, four. The interesting thing, Bruce, is that the Oilers um, they had a they had seven forwards in the top 125 going by this this particular metric. So Costin, three, Kane, four, Warren Fogle, 30th overall. Connor McDavid, 37th overall. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach Hyman, 60th. Leon Dreisel, 114th. And Nick Butte's at 123rd. So they essentially they have two full lines now, plus one. 
of players mm-hmm. who who hit a lot, put up some points as well, and you know some some more of one than the other. Right. And the other exciting thing from this is, although Leon Dreisaitl ranks 114th in the regular season for this, when Leon turns it on and he's playing in the playoffs and he starts to hit, because he'll go through many long stretches of the regular season where he's mm-hmm. not going to throw a hit. But when he gets in the playoffs and mm-hmm. he puts his, and he gets gets it in his head and against the LA Kings in the last little while, last couple of games, he, Leon, Leon Dreisaitl could be the best power forward in the NHL when he puts his mind to it. And that's what I'm expecting to see in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. um, I just think this is a really, you know, it's one of the many little indicators that that uh, are filling, filling me full of hope. Um, and in the last few games, the goalies have, have uh, done their bit as well. So mm-hmm. hopefully that keeps up. Yeah. Well, I, I once one start that I don't trust uh, is hits per 60. And I'll tell you why. It, it favors uh, energy players who don't play a lot. And to me, a guy who plays 10 minutes and gets two hits, uh, I mean, he has more hits for per 60 than a guy who plays 20 minutes and has three hits. But the guy that's playing 20 and throwing that extra hit is, is you know, putting more wear and tear on. So, you know, as the players play more, they tend to hit less than they need to as their load management purposes. So... Uh, I tend to hits is one where, I, rather than the per sixty, I almost prefer just the raw number. How that's an times, interesting. How many yeah, times you can do you that. bash someone, you know, and that's uh, it's uh, it's a subtlety to that step. It, it really changes. Uh, whereas block shots per sixty, you know, it doesn't almost seem to matter whether the defenseman plays twenty four minutes or seventeen or whatever. But uh, the hits, there's wear and tear there. And you talk about guys like Leon, and he's a particularly notable example. And he does his own personal load management, right? They call, they do that in basketball. They sit guys out all the time, a game here, a game there, just so they're not. And Leon never sits out any games, but there are games where uh, uh, he's, uh, shall we say, less engaged than uh, other times. And it's aggravating as hell during the moment. But over the long period, I mean, mm-hmm. I'd rather have a fresh Leon at the beginning of April, like we seemingly have right now, uh, who's, you know, played the whole season, but hasn't, you know, been dishing it out to quite this level for six months, but only really for the last one month that we've seen him close to the peak of his game. And that suits me fine. And, and another thing you'll see is that the more mature the team and the more set they are in their playoff berth, it just becomes more natural during the season to just, you know, go 90% or 95% on a lot of nights. And just, you know, if you're good enough, you're going to win a lot of those games anyway. And the Dynasty Oilers, for instance, were some of their some of their remarkable figures started to drop off in the regular season after they'd won two or three cups because they were so focused on just being ready for the playoffs. We know we're going to make the playoffs. Let's get in there and be ready to roll then. And that's a, I think that's pretty standard for veteran teams in general. Yeah, I could go. You like I, I think they are making a good point there. And in the, if I did the study again, I might go with hits per game, mm-hmm. something like that. I yeah, mean, Costin, yeah. Costin does lead the orders in hits. He's got 141. Oh, well, uh, fair enough. He's there. He has 136, and and he's only played 52 games, so he he's still going to be doing pretty well because he has that really high even strength point 
total side. You know, I also use like you could include hits taken um, as a mark of a physical player. Um, so I'm like, <laughs> it's not taken. Might, I, I remember studying that one time when it was, stats first came out. And I studied on the Oilers, the guy was hit the least, the least by far was Sheldon Surrey. Because all the te- players on the other team were scared shitless that he was just going to give them a Sherwood sandwich. They just left him alone. <laughs> Poor Tom Gilbert sure got mashed, but uh, Sheldon Saray, for whatever reason, and it wasn't because he was so fast he, he was getting out of the way. It was just that if you did take a run at him, you either paid for it then or you paid for it later. Um, my final comment, when you brought up the, the, the multiple players with hits and shots, Mm-hmm. Did you get that from uh, Larry Popine? I, I remember way back in the 1970s, and I think this mm-hmm. is from Larry Popine, who was the, for a short time the coach of the New York Rangers. Mm-hmm. But it might have been Billy Ray. But he said, it, there was one coach who said, what I want from every player is one shot and one hit per period. That's how he wanted his players right. to go. So, all right, Bruce. Well, if you That's, look at the end of the game, the guy's got three shots and three hits. You know that he's been in the game. I think that sure. you can draw that much from the advanced summary. You can't tell whether he had a good game, but you can sure tell that he was you know, involved in the game. Usually a good game. All right, sure. let's let's wrap it up there. Okay, thanks for talking, Bruce. I've said enough already. Thanks for listening, <laughs> everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>